The Mutual Recognition Agreement, MRA, has still not been signed between Europe and Switzerland. So, if you are distributing a medical device in Switzerland, you have to appoint a Swiss representative from May 26, 2021. So, Easy Medical Device is offering this service. Contact me per email at swiss at easymedicaldevice.com. Swiss, S-W-I-S-S, at easymedicaldevice.com. And we'll try to help you. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. I am Munir Lazuzi, a medical device expert specialized on quality and regulatory affairs. My mission is to help you learn how to place a compliant medical device on the market. For that, I share with you my experience and the one of others on this podcast. Are you ready for your dose of regulation and standard today? Okay, so let the show begin. Welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Here is Munir Lazuzi from easymedicaldevice.com. And today, we will not talk about EUMDR, but we will talk about uh, a process that is existing in the US for the registration of your medical devices. So um, when we are talking about registration of medical devices in the US, I'm always inviting Michelle Lott. So Michelle, welcome to the Medical Device Made Easy podcast. Hi, Munir. It's good to be back. Yeah, great. So thank you for being here. And um, the, the idea of today is we need to talk about a process uh, related to the registration of products in the US. Last time we were talking about 510K, about de novo, about other processes of PMA that were existing. Uh, and now we we'll talk about a new process. Oh, it's not new, but it's a, a process that is kind of famous since the last year, which is the emergency use um, authorization, which is EUA. Uh, and I wanted you to help us to understand that. But before that, for people that don't know you, can you please make a small introduction of yourself? Yep. So I'm Michelle Lott. I own Lean REQA, and we specialize in helping uh, startups and small to mid-sized companies get their products from early concept development all the way through their regulatory pathway um, and into commercialization with a proper quality management system. So great. Um, so, and you are not helping only for US, you are also helping for EU or for other uh, regions, is correct? Yep, yep, we do uh, US, EU, Canada, um, Australia, and we help with uh, coordinate registrations from there. Great. So, um, yeah, if anybody needs some help, don't hesitate to contact Michelle. That really, I, I'm also, I'm, I'm also contacting her each time I have a request for, for the US, so uh, don't hesitate there. Um, okay, so let's now kick off this, uh, this topic about emergency use authorization. So can we just first explain to people that don't know this process, what it is exactly, what is the EUA, if I can say, process or pathway for registration? Yep, so the EUA is, stands for Emergency um, Use Authorization. And in the United States, uh, Congress and the Health and Human Services have to declare basically a state of emergency. And it has very specific criteria that it has to meet to be declared uh, as such. And then they, they, from there, they move product by product to determine exactly what products do they need during the emergency use um, to, to help, help us make it through the pandemic. So, so it's, it's, not, it's not the same each time. It depends really of the current situation of the, the situation at a certain state. Because we talked about that, as I said, it started to be famous since last year because of the coronavirus, because there was a lot of things that were 
kind of on the list to say uh, masks or respirators or whatever that has to be there and they can go through this pathway. So does it mean that um, the list can change? So it means that some products can be removed from this list and some products can be added. So it's like, like that? Correct. Yep. And, and you uh, say it's Congress who is deciding? It's, it's like voted by, by the Congress? Uh, Congress, in, the, in addition to the Health and hum, Human Services, so the HHS, which is the parent organization that the FDA is also a part of. And um, so I suppose that since last year, you had a lot of kind of demand for uh, emergency use authorization. So what is now, uh, after one year doing that, so what is your feedback about this process? Uh, what is your maybe experience about it? Well, I, I guarantee you, Monir, what I think the general public thinks is an emergency versus what the FDA thinks is an emergency and what okay. our shortages are, are, are two totally different things. Okay. Um, I have uh, worked on several technologies um, that were lower risk alternatives to some, some devices that are on the emergency use. And in early conversations with the FDA, I was being told very bizarre things like, um, like for a ventilator breathing assist, like instead of getting on a ventilator, this is like an alternative technology. So you don't need to get on a ventilator. The FDA told me that they were unaware of a continuing lack of access to ventilators and that oh, well, if, if there's an area of the country that still has a, a shortage of ventilators, they can just fly the people to other areas of the oh. country. Isn't that crazy? Okay. Yes, Who's going to pay for that? You know? Yeah, just buying or having uh, additional uh, equipment uh, at the place where people are is maybe the, the best way to do that. But yeah, flying people are also kind of, there is some risk for doing that. So it's mainly... Uh, also something uh, crazy. Yeah, I, I never heard about that before. So yep. interesting to, to have that. Yep. And I, I also did a technology for, you know, um, the ECMO. Uh, yep. So the ECMO is underneath the EUA here and it has its own guidance document and it specifically opens with the FDA is aware of a shortage of ECMO devices so I was working on this device under EUA and they said, hey, this is really novel. We like it. We want you to consider it. We want you to do a breakthrough. So I'm thinking, oh, this is great. If FDA is telling me do this under a breakthrough, we want to partner with you here. So I did the breakthrough and they came back and they only asked two questions. So again, I'm thinking this is a good sign. Okay. And then they denied the breakthrough saying that they were uh, unaware of a, a lack of access to ECMO. And okay. I'm like, you have a guidance document that starts out saying there's a lack of access to ECMO. <laughs> but uh, can, can you just clarify or, or tell more about breakthrough because it's also another thing. So uh, is there is it different from the EUA this? Yes. So breakthrough is a, a fairly new um, pathway with the FDA uh, under which that they intend to um, help partner with companies to bring new or novel technologies that that meet an unmet need or um, are are lower risk alternatives um, to to other technologies. And um, if I remember, if I remember on this process, the FDA is really 
uh, helping you, guiding you, working with you for that. If, uh, because I read that on the FDA website and maybe it says you are the person and FDA will be really with you all along this process. So it's strange that at the end, they stop your, if I can say, process when they were with you talking, I mean, helping you for that. Right. Um, yeah. And the whole point of the breakthrough is, like you said, it, it's the FDA becomes a collaborator with you. And it's supposed to be a way where you still have to go through the normal channels of, of a submission. Like you still have to do a de novo or whatever the appropriate submission is. But they, they are less formal in their communication. They, um, so like you don't have to do, do formal pre-subs or if you do, they, they expedite them, move them through. They talk to you more informally. They collaborate on endpoints for clinical trials. Um, and then at the end, when your product gets clearance, if you have a breakthrough, they make a, a the FDA themselves makes a press release that says, hey, we partnered with company XYZ and we helped them bring this important technology to market. Okay, so, um, so this is, two different things related to emergency use authorization and then breakthrough, which is more for new technologies. Um, so at the end, it's at the end, it's nearly the same, it's accelerates. So both are trying to help you to arrive on the market quicker. So it's really that uh, to pass some barriers to, to kind of uh, not follow the, the pathway that everybody's following because of the nature of your, of your product. So they are, are, they, are they kind of, can we consider that like similar or not? Well, the emergency use authorization, of course, it's it's only for a period of time. And when um, we're no longer an emergency, you can no longer market those devices. Okay. You have to bring them to market during either a 510K or a de novo. So um, it means that you are going through this EUA and then they are authorizing you to sell these products. It's sold maybe for one, two, three, four months. And when this emergency like coronavirus is stopped, those products that are on the market since maybe six months now um, have to stop to be displaced on the market until you get the normal pathway 510K or de novo or whatever. Correct. Is that correct? Correct. Mm -hmm. Wow. It's, uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I mean, I suppose that if you use that during six months, they were safe and perform. I suppose, I don't know, maybe, maybe there is another consideration, but I suppose this is a proof that they are safe and performant, no? Well, you know, it's it's this whole risk reward. Like, what is the 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 risk of us not having access to these devices at all versus the types of adverse events that could, could be created? Okay. But those manufacturers, um, yeah. So it's a lot of um, business risk, actually. If you think you're going to do just a product for the, the EUA, because the FDA could repeal the, the EUAs at any time once they, they determine that we no longer meet the state of emergency. And so then you would have to just stop. So in my opinion, anybody that is, is, wants to go through this EUA process, you need to be doing all the testing and getting ready to do your submission as normal if okay. you intend to continue, keep selling your product. Okay, no, I think it's a, it's a, great, a great point here just to, for people to be ready so, to not think that because they passed the EUA, they are good, they can sell the products for, for many, many years, so they have to be ready for, for the next step also. Um, when you say people that are 
um, can use this process. So who are those people? So is there is it reserved to U.S. companies or it can be also from foreign companies that can also get through this uh, emergency user authorization? Yeah, it can be um, U.S. or EU, any, any foreign company is eligible as well. Um, I will tell you that um, the, I, I have also heard from the FDA um, in some of the conversations that their intent was really to get foreign manufacturers who, who had clearance in other regulatory jur jurisdictions but had not yet brought their product to, to the U.S., that they had in, that their intent was to get those people um, that they really didn't intend the EUA to bring um, new or novel technologies. They were really going for existing manufacturers with cleared technologies. Okay, because because from my experience of, with people that were trying to go through EUA, there were a lot of people that were new manufacturers that see an opportunity here to sell their. Uh, face mask or to sell their their products to the to the US because of this emergency uh, situation and they were not um, long term if i can say long time manufacturers they were opportunists if i can say coming and doing that so yeah. do 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 they make this kind of check about how long the company was running is it a new company or this kind of thing or they as it's an emergency they accept everybody and they try to just be making, if I can say this, uh, this situation better for, for them? No, and you know, I think that the way that they changed the EUAs, because there are, um, they are definitely are reflective of, of the FDA trying to demonstrate that they really did intend more mature companies, again, that already had clearance, um, because in their mind, the new manufacturers that are, are new to, to medical devices and new to manufacturing in general, that is in and of itself inherently risky. Okay. Um, because because it, people have um, underestimated what it means to be a medical device manufacturer. So there, there are... 13 EUA templates and that have been changed 11 times. Okay. You know, in, in just right around a year, there are 28 guidance documents for the EUA that have been changed 17 times. Wow. All to clarify, and they're not getting easier. They're getting more complex, more data, more requirements, more levels of a quality management system. Um, because the FDA saw that bar was so low early on. So now some of the EUAs are, are complex or just as complex as doing a 510K. But uh, so you were working on that. I suppose it was a nightmare for you. You were learning how to do it. And then you had to learn again and to learn again and to learn again. And to learn. I, I suppose this was really a nightmare for you. And customers coming to you to say, yes, I have done 10 EUA, but the 11th one will be as difficult as the first one because it's a new regulation and new guidance and new everything. So yeah. I suppose it was really tough for you. Oh, Monir, I thought I was going to have to be institutionalized <laughs> this time last year because as soon as you, particularly for the masks, um, that, that changed a half dozen times in as many weeks. It was like every week, every other week, they either changed 
had a webinar that where they clarified, well, what we really meant. Um, and now if you want to be on the EUA list for surgical masks, you have to turn in all of the same testing that you do for a 510K except for one single test. Okay. I mean, biocompatibility, everything. So uh, the file, if I can say the file that you have to provide for a UA, uh, do you consider it now as of today the same as the file that you are providing for a 510K with the same kind of content or it's easier to go to a UA for now? Um, at least for surgical masks, I wouldn't fool with the EUA anymore. I would just get a 510K um, for a number of reasons. You know, you already have to do all the same testing. Technically, the EUA is a shorter template to fill out, but it's, it's taking a long period of time to get through the EUA when you could just get your 510K clearance. And then I've also seen that for my customers, their customers want 510K cleared product, not EUA product. And as you said, you have to do it then twice. If you do the EUA, as soon as you finish, you have still to go back to the normal pathway for placing your device in the market. So in that case, it's not, I mean, if I understand well, it's not an emergency use authorization anymore. I mean, it's not... Uh, you are not going through an emergency anymore. It's like you are going through the same pathway. So, so there is no kind of, uh, of, of advantage maybe for, for people to follow, follow that again. But um, you said to me it takes longer. So how long does it take usually when, when you place your application for EUA? So how long does it take for getting an approval for, for that? Um, the, the EUA for the surgical masks takes 10 to 12 weeks. Weeks? Uh, weeks. Okay. And a 510K is, takes about 90, 90 days, so three months. So you're looking at it's really not taking much longer to get through the 510K program. And then you can permanently sell your product in the, you know, pandemic or not. No, I think, so it's, I think, I think it's, uh, I mean, go for the 510K. And I suppose it would be easier for you to find also an equivalent product uh, uh, substantially equivalent products in the market. There is so much product now on the market that you can easily say, yeah, my mask is the same as this one or this one or this one, uh, which makes your, your file uh, okay. And I suppose it's also a so well-known kind of products that the 510K will be between one company and the other will be nearly similar. And then companies or reviewers will have to, we can review that quickly because they, they have seen so many masks, they have seen so many files that they say, okay, it's nearly the same for each of them, so it's fine. We can we can move forward. So um, I think you know, yeah, maybe don't don't use EUA anymore. Is there is there do I mean uh, actually is there a list somewhere on the FDA website where it says these are the products that can still go through a EUA? Yes. So every product that has been authorized. So I think those thirteen templates. Each one of those um, has got its own landing page on the FDA website that has the, the list of companies for each one of those products that have been authorized. So yeah, so each, each time you are authorized, then you, you go through this uh, web page and your name will be there with your product with everything. So me as a customer or as a, maybe somebody that will be um, distributing those kind of products, I can go on this page 
fine. The, my product can say, okay, my product has been cleared by the FDA. It's not like a product that entered the, the US um, fraudulently and it's not really authorized to be there. Right. And they have a list of not only the, the companies that have been legitimately authorized, but they also have list of, of companies who have been deauthorized. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. So deauthorized for which reason? Because of some issues or? Uh, yep. Product quality. Um, and especially for the products that were coming in from overseas, the FDA is sam- sampling them um, before they get released from customs. And they have found like for, for a lot of the respirators that were claiming, you know, 98, 99% fil- filtration. Some of them were as low as in the, 20s, 30s, 40s. Yeah, um, okay. I, I, we see we see that also in, in Europe. I suppose the same for COVID-19 tests. Uh, there were a lot maybe of uh, um, false positive or mm-hmm. negative, or I don't know how to say, but things that are uh, not really coherent with the reality. Uh, I remember in Spain, there was some COVID-19 tests that made everybody like negative to COVID when they were positive. So it was not like a, a good situation there. So yeah, I, I suppose... Um, a lot of things can arrive like that, but they are deauthorized until they solve the situation or they are deauthorized and they will never be able to, again, to, to make this application. Um, it, that's probably going to depend on what they were deauthorized for. Um, but I, w- I would think that they would probably have to go through a 510K and turn in their full test data to be able to get back in FDA's good graces. Okay. How are things um, okay, working so, in, in the EU, Monir? What? How, how are things working in the EU? So in the EU, mainly what we have is that each country uh, decide by itself uh, if they are accepting kind of this kind of emergency uh, registration of products. Um, they are at the beginning of the crisis. Uh, it was the same as, uh, as uh, the US. So you have to build a small file. It was not like a huge file. You have to um, send that to the authorities and then they accept to have your products on the market or not. But you were also saying that while the, the product is on the market, you are doing all the work to make this product CE marked. So it's not like that you are just waiting uh, that your product is sold, etc. No, you are testifying to say, while my product is starting uh-huh. to be on the market, I am, I'm certifying that I will contact the notified body, I will create a quality management system, I will create a technical file, I will do all that. So that my product will be, uh, if I can say, uh, approved uh, as, uh, as, uh, as everything on the market. The only issue is uh, normally in the EU, as soon as a product is authorized in one member state, then it can be sold in the other member states. So this is mainly the, the, the kind of rule. So this is something that we are asking ourselves, oh, if it's authorized in the Netherlands, can I have this product also in France? Can I have this product in Germany? And there was a lot of situation like that because as we said, so it's not like the United States. Um, you have to have each country that authorizes uh, certain products. And it depends also on the situation in the country. If they need more face masks, respirators, uh, or they need more COVID-19 tests, etc. Et so it was mainly, mainly like that. Um, and um, the thing is also that um, we know about the last year, about uh, the situation that normally we had to implement the new UMDR last year. But because of coronavirus, of uh, the situation, we have to postpone that of one year. And this helped, if I can say, maybe some manufacturers that were already uh, EUMDD uh, to continue to sell their products without any disruption. Uh, 
but this was mainly, mainly the situation. But I think every country had this kind of emergency authorization things. Um, one thing I wanted to ask you also, um, because I think here we, we have got really a, a good information about what it is, how to use that, etc. Did, did, did this change with the new president, so Joe Biden, was there any change of the, this policy related to, um, to the coronavirus, to the products that are authorized or, or this kind of thing? Was there any change related to that? Um, so when Trump was leaving office, he tried to put through a lot of um, changes to the federal register and how FDA regulated certain products. And so one of the first things that, that Biden did was stop everything that hadn't been officially published. Oh, really? Um, yep. And, and required it to, to, to go through an administrative review for was it appropriate or not the changes that were being proposed. So it's and, like stopping everything to say, let's review again what we have already approved. Is it correct? Uh, or... Or, or things that had not yet been approved, oh, okay. finalized, so so that they were in kind of this pending state. And unfortunately, one of the ones that that managed to get formally published and released in in what's called the Federal Register here was a proposal to downclassify like ninety devices, um, most of which were moderate to semi high risk devices and make them to where if they stayed class two, but not required a 510K, oh. or down classify them from a class two to a class one, again, with, oh. and exempt the 510K. So this was mainly to make it easier for those products to enter the market? Yes. And um, it, some of the, the, the um, devices, it was kind of scary. like there were catheters that go in the interstitial space between your, your brain, you know, in between your brain and your skull, yeah. you know, on what planet should that not require a 510 K or, you know, some sort of government oversight, um, all kinds of cancer diagnostic, um, okay. uh, antimicrobial surgical masks. Um, so uh, there, there was just, uh, so that one, that one got officially published in the Federal Register, but I led a massive campaign um, on LinkedIn and got my colleagues here to um, um, put comments in on the Federal Register. And then because the FDA and HHS have to, before they, they finalize a rule, have to go through all the comments one okay. by one and acknowledge them and respond to them. And um, I think... 40 some odd people like followed through with my LinkedIn post or no 40, 40 people commented and 35 of them were, were from my campaign. I remember because I think I was one of them because I, I think we discussed yeah. about that. I remember you sent me some, some documents to, to comment and everything. And I have done that, but I, I hope. Yeah. So did it, did it help or yeah, it was withdrawn? I thought, so then it's yeah. fine. It worked. Yeah. <laughs> Democracy in action. No, I think it's great. So no, no, I think it's, it's really great because uh, mainly uh, at one point we have some politics, if I can say that, are trying to put in place some thinking. They, they think about this or that, but maybe they don't have really a clear understanding of uh, what is really on the market, what, what it is for, the risk that we can have, 
so yeah, happy that this kind of, of uh, initiative is really placed uh, and works. It looks like Switzerland. Switzerland, we have a lot of initiatives like that. We have always to vote and to vote and to vote. So it's, uh, it looks like uh, uh, people are, are listening now to the, to, the, to the population. So it's great. <laughs> Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so uh, I think yeah, we, we really covered the emergency use uh, authorization. So the conclusion apparently is like uh, it's not worth anymore to go through that uh, because it takes more time. It's more complicated, and at the end, it's, if you follow the five ten k, it will be fine. Um, if you are a class one, I suppose that you have no five ten k, so then you can just uh, place the price on the market without uh, that. So I mean. Um, uh, we do you still recommend that? Um, but again, you have to be committed. You got to build it out. Even for class one products, you got to build out a full quality management system. You got to register and list with the FDA, and which means you can be inspected by the FDA. So, um, you know, my biggest advice is is to it, making medical devices is is a very serious endeavor and commitment. And if you're doing it, like you said, to just be an opportunist and to take advantage of the marketing opportunities uh, in the pandemic, um, I think that that you're going to introduce more harm than help. Yeah, no, I agree with you. And uh, it's mainly what um, what we have to 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 understand here is that yeah, as as I'm always saying, maybe on the surgery room, maybe with the hospital, etc., it will be your um, family, your husband, your children, your parents, etc. There, so think: Do you want these products to be uh, uh, placed on your on your parents or on your on your children or, or, or husband? So it's really something that you have to think about before you say yes. I will do what I what I'm thinking uh, I'm doing. So which is great. Um, okay, so really thank you, Michelle. I think we covered everything. Um, so um, I hope yeah, then people will really understand what is this emergency use authorization in the US. How, when to use that, why, why to use that, and if it would be worth for them to do it. And I hope, yeah, if there is any question, so that maybe people can come directly to you and uh, to uh, to uh, ask you if there is any any support that you can provide for this kind of support, for this kind of, of, of pathway. Um, okay, so anything else from your side? Um, hold on just one second here. We are at T minus 34 days. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I've started. I started something uh, because we are the 26th of April, also. So we are one month now from the uh, from the UMDR. Uh, so yeah, I, I will. T- I will try to do now uh, from. Uh, I, I mean, uh, this episode when it will arrive. Normally, we have done a lot of videos, so I will do one minute video with one tips per day, so that to provide some tips uh, for for people. So I have now made a list of all the kind of tips that I can provide within one minute. But one minute is not enough to say everything. So. I will try really to do that, but I hope it will be helpful for, for people. But yeah, we are close to it. Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, I'm still, I will maybe be still surprised if they say, oh, we'll postpone it again of one year. I, I suppose they will not do that. But yeah, <laughs> from last year, I, I, I mean, it can happen. We know that it can happen. So, uh, but, uh, but for now, there is no mention at all. There is no discussion at all about the postponement of the UMDR uh, date of application. So, we are now uh, ready for it, and uh, I hope yeah everybody will be ready for that. Uh, so, uh, what is what is again your uh, hashtag uh, so that people can follow? Uh, hashtag MDR is still coming. Yeah, MDR is still coming exactly. So, go on LinkedIn, tap hashtag MDR is still coming, and you will see all the 
all the publication that Michel Lot is doing about about this. Okay, Michel. So it's really a pleasure to have you today, and uh, I hope this will be really helpful for people. Uh, so for people that are on the YouTube channel, so please uh, don't forget to place a comment if you have any comment about uh, this or if you have any question, I will, I will send that to Michel. Uh, don't forget to place a like also. And uh, for those that are on the platform, the podcast platform, you can also place your comments there directly there. And if I, if, I, uh, if I can, I will try to answer to that or to send that to Michel. Okay, so Michel, really thank you for your help. Thank you for your support. And I wish you a nice day. Good morning. Bye, bye. Thanks for listening. So if you like this episode, please provide a review on the platform where you are listening to it. And also don't forget to share it with your colleagues. Thank you very much.